Hi there, welcome to Active Intelligence. I'm Aaron Ironside. I hope you've got around half an hour to spare because that's how long it'll take for us to dive deep into another social issue where we offer more balance than bias. Today's issue is a minefield. It doesn't get much more complicated than surrogacy. That's the topic today on Active Intelligence. On today's show, we go to the US to catch up with a surrogacy campaigner named Jennifer Lal, who is concerned that there really is no kind of safe or ethical surrogacy. She is absolutely opposed. And we'll find out some of her stories in the US, of course, have informed that position for her. For many of us, though, we're quite warm to the idea that couples who are struggling to have a baby often will turn to the most extreme options. If you've ever journeyed with a friend through IVF or gone through that yourself, you'll know what a painful, uh, difficult process that is full of hope and despair and hopefully, ultimately, a little baby to love. So it's no confusion to us that when presented with the option of surrogacy, many would think, gosh, particularly as a woman, if my body cannot carry a baby, maybe somebody would carry one for me. And at its best, it seems like a marvellous gift. I have trouble with my heart, um, which means that I've been advised by the high-risk obstetricians not to carry a pregnancy, that it would um, be threatening to my life. I actually joined the New Zealand surrogacy website way back in 2006. Even though I had been supporting other women and really involved in the community, I think I felt like a fraud. Like, um, why should I be so lucky that someone would help me? I had my first child very young and um, always knew in the back of my head that I wanted to do something like become a surrogate um, after I'd finished having my children. So I researched on the internet for a long time and then joined the surrogacy New Zealand website and found Kevin and Marie's profile. My husband contacted them first, so I was too shy, I was a bit scared. Um, and it went from there. It's actually Jessie's husband who contacted us in November, December, um, and I couldn't breathe. <laughs> I was just so happy. We had to have known, had, to, had to have known them for six months and we had to go through three sessions of counselling um, as it had to go to the ethics committee and our application had to be approved and then the physical side could start and I got pregnant first time. We just know that without a woman like Jessie we wouldn't be going to be parents and we're so excited. It's a dream come true. We just can't believe how fortunate, how blessed we are. Jessie is so easygoing and um, we, it's just we have a lot of laughs together and I feel like I can talk to Jessie about my worries. I think she's been incredibly sensitive to what it must be like for me. Telling other people, I'm always quick to tell other people that I'm a surrogate so that they, they know that it's not mine. Some people cry, some people hug me, some people want to know if I'm being paid millions of dollars, <laughs> um, which is really, really nice um, to bring that much joy to people just simply by telling them something like that is, is lovely. One of the main motivating factors was to show my family that there's more than one way to have a family. Um, we'll always be connected to Kevin and Marie through this little girl um, and we probably would never have known them if we hadn't, if I hadn't chosen to be a surrogate. So that's really important to me, um, to have 
to have that connection with them. I can't wait <laughs> to see them holding their little girl um, in six weeks' time and know that, that she'll grow up and I grew her. <laughs> and six weeks from now we'll be, well, five, seven, who knows? <laughs> um, we'll be holding our little girl and uh, that's all because of Jessie. If we had not been so lucky, we, you know, we, this would, this, we just can't believe it. I still can't believe it. And I think until she's in our arms and we're holding her, um, it won't feel real. Kevin and I, we have a lovely, lovely friendship, a beautiful relationship. I love my husband and we were ready for it to just be the two of us and um, it felt so empty and so wrong. Um, and yeah, we are now so happy. Oh, I think feel her little bottom. Yeah, it must be her bottom. <laughs> her bottom. Always room for belly rubbing. That, of course, is what we might call the showroom version of surrogacy, where the surrogate mum, the birth mum, they they get on really well. Uh, it's, a, it's a lovely, warm relationship, and everything works out swimmingly. Uh, and indeed, this family who've been hoping for a baby finally get to start a family. At its best, we can understand why surrogacy would be something that people are very keen on. Of course, it's not the best where the problems occur, is it? It's the worst. What happens, for example, in the US here when the lady who is carrying the baby learns that the baby growing inside her is not a healthy baby and she's told uh, to abort the baby and decides that is not what she is going to do. Crystal Kelly was thrilled when a couple hired her to be their surrogate and carry their baby. She said, pray for a little girl. I want a little girl. Ultrasounds halfway through Kelly's pregnancy showed the baby girl growing inside her had severe heart defects, a brain abnormality, and other medical problems. They said she had a less than 25% chance of being able to have a normal life. Inside Hartford Hospital in Connecticut, the parents, heartbroken, asked Kelly to have an abortion. I refused. I couldn't do it. I was the one who was feeling her kick and squirm. I knew she had a fighting spirit, and I wanted to fight for her. But the parents pleaded with Kelly to let their baby go. They said that they didn't want to bring a baby into the world only for that child to suffer. They said that I should try to be godlike and have mercy on the child and let her go. The parents made the single mom with tight finances a $10,000 offer to end the pregnancy. Kelly countered with a 15 grand offer. And when that negotiation broke down, the parents said they would give the baby up. I'm not going to let her become one of those forgotten, disabled kids that gets lost in the system. So Kelly secretly left the state pregnant with their baby. Packed up my van with everything that I could carry, threw my kids in the car, and we drove for two days to Michigan. Under Michigan law, Kelly would be the baby's mother. I can't tell you how many people told me that I was bad, that I was wrong. Kelly gave birth in Michigan last June, and here's the baby today. She's eight months old, and Kelly found a family to adopt her. Along with her cleft lip and palate and misshapen ear, she has severe brain and heart problems. She'll need several risky surgeries to survive, but in many other ways, she's just like other babies, smiling and grabbing for toys. She's still a happy little girl who's going to bring joy into the lives of everyone who knows her. It gives me a lot of joy, and I know that every single thing that I did was worth it. 
Well, that's a heartbreaking story, and I think most of us could understand that one from both points of view. Uh, It's a very difficult and courageous thing to bring into the world a baby that we know probably won't have a long life and may have a very difficult one, and yet that's a precious human being, and uh, the birth mum there determined that that baby deserved a chance at whatever kind of life was possible. But in New Zealand, we're busy reviewing our surrogacy laws because surrogacy doesn't really have enough of its own specific legislation. It borrows a bit from IVF, a bit from adoption. Uh, And as this same-sex couple from the US found out when they immigrated here, you could find yourself under the current law having to do something strange like adopt your children from yourself. According to New Zealand law, the legal parent in a surrogacy situation is the woman who carries the child, the gestational surrogate uh, or the gestational carrier, uh, even though that person actually doesn't have a biological link. So in our situation, uh, like, like many others, where there are fertility issues and other things, um, we used an egg donor uh, and our own sperm to fertilize those eggs. And so we, we are the biological parents. We are the parents under the law in the United States where, we've been, you know, where our children were born. Um, Everywhere in the world where we travel on our American passports, we're recognized as a family unit. But in New Zealand, New Zealand's telling us, no, actually, we're not going to recognize you as the, child- as the, the parents of your children. And so what this means for our children is that they were not eligible for New Zealand citizenship because the New Zealand government didn't consider uh, me their parent. Uh, and so this was obviously a challenge for us. Um, and it's because New Zealand law only considers the surrogate to be the parent uh, and they don't consider biological links of the, the intended parents. The situation that we were, that New, the New Zealand government asked us and wanted us to adopt from uh, the surrogate, which is essentially uh, relinquishing our, our rights as parents and saying that our surrogate was the parent, which doesn't make sense because she never, she never had a legal right to parentage in any other country. Uh, including the one where she lives. She found this absurd, by the way, uh, that that she would be considered the parent, um, as did the egg donor. We were fortunate enough that we were able to, because we were living in the United States, we were able to adopt our children from ourselves and subsequently we were able to access New Zealand citizenship because New Zealand, once we had adopted our children, recognised us as the parents, even though we were the only parents that they've ever had legally or biologically or otherwise. Well, I can't really understand this problem, to be honest. I suspect I need to go back to university and complete a law degree to really understand the ins and outs of that. But I do understand how uh, complicated, confusing and pointless that felt like for that family. And whilst many people will perhaps be having their hackles up because it was a same-sex couple, let's remember that these issues would have applied to any uh, family unit in their situation. Clearly, our law is in need of some kind of overhaul and that's why there is a commission going on at the moment to explore surrogacy and what the future of that looks like in New Zealand. There aren't many surrogacies, by the way, uh, in this country. We're talking about a classroom of kids a year. It doesn't really happen. Uh, And that, of course, has meant many people have gone overseas to find answers to their surrogacy needs. And to overseas we go, where Jennifer Lal is convinced, based on the American experience, that this is not something that we want to get involved in because from her standpoint there's no good kind of surrogacy. 
Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. And today's topic is, like so many of these, very complex. So I want to start by asking about whether or not it's surrogacy, the idea that's bad, or just some of the problems that come up some of the time. Because I actually have a friend who, uh, she was in church with uh, another good friend of hers, and the other lady wasn't able to have children and was possibly would die if she was pregnant and, and gave birth and so this lady decided that she would be a surrogate mum she'd already had a few children of her own so using uh, her friend's husband's sperm she was impregnated had the baby uh, baby went to live with the other family and she continued on and actually had more children of her own and it seemed on the surface to be this most marvelous gift that one friend had given another I mean, is it the case that, that all surrogacy is flawed or just that it is prone to some deep flaws? Yeah, you know, that that's always the way surrogacy is presented, all the happy, wonderful stories and what could be wrong with this. But yes, I absolutely 100% unashamedly oppose all surrogacy, whether you're helping your friend, whether you're helping your sister, whether you're doing it for strangers, whether you're doing it for money or for free. Um, for and I'm sure as we discuss, you'll find all the reasons why I oppose surrogacy. Full stop. Okay, well, some of the reasons are obvious, like the 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 turning a baby into a commodity. Whenever money's involved, things get mucky and difficult. Uh, let's play out though, just for people to understand how money does get involved. I mean, is there even this surrogacy industry that we fear might emerge? Yeah, it's a multi-multi-billion dollar a year global industry of buying and selling babies, renting wombs. Um, I worked in hospital nursing for 20 years. Um, money never comes into the equation when you're doing informed consent before you embark on any kind of a medical procedure, drug therapy, or surgery. Um, we know how coercive money can be. Even if you inform people of the risk, we know that people who more need the money, more desperate for money, more low income are going to roll the dice and take that risk because they need the money. So, you know, the separation of money as it relates to healthcare decisions and getting pregnant for another friend or stranger is a healthcare decision um, is corrupted when money's on the table. Okay, so if we took money out of play, that's in a sense, that's an easy fix. We could say, right, uh, surrogacy can only be like my friend where they're just simply helping each other out, but no money is exchanged. What's left over if it isn't the problem of it being the turning the baby into a commodity? Yeah, there's two problems that come to mind quickly that cannot be dealt with by regulation. You Like you say, you can take that problem away and fix that. And the two problems are, one is that we are now seeing in the medical literature and in my own research, I'm waiting to be published right now on a big research project that I did, surrogate pregnancies are much higher risk than the pregnancies uh, the women have for their own children. And we're starting to learn why that is. And so you are, uh, you are asking a woman to embark on a high risk procedure, a high-risk surrogacy pregnancy. Um, 
And then the second thing is maternal child bonding. We've known for, for a long, long time that babies bond in utero and that bonding starts between mother and baby in, in the womb. You can't wish that away. You can't say don't bond with this baby. We know surrogates do bond. Um, we, we don't yet know what that impact is on the child when it's immediately you know, removed from that woman's uterus and placed into strangers' hands, even though those strangers are the genetic parents. Um, so you can't, those are things that you can't deal with with regulation. You can't say, we're going to write a law that says the woman will not have a high-risk pregnancy. Um, we've had, I'm, I'm in California, I'm speaking to you from California right now, and we've had surrogates in my state die. Um, we had a surrogate mother in Boise, Idaho die. She was carrying twins for a couple in Spain where surrogacy is illegal, so they came here. The twins died. So they didn't die because they were being paid or not being paid. You know, they died because they were involved in a very high risk pregnancy. Um, and so, be, you know, and you know, back to the case of children being separated, you know, again, in California, it is animal cruelty and inhumane to adopt a baby puppy um, at birth. You cannot, we have a dog, we could not take our dog the day it was born. We had to wait by law eight weeks um, then we can go take that little newborn puppy away from its mother and bring it home to our house. Um, so we don't even treat human babies as we as we treat our family dogs, our pets. You talked about uh, the informed consent part. There would be some that would say, hey, it might be risky for the mum, but if that's a risk she wants to take, I mean, it's her body, it's her choice. I mean, that sounds like familiar rhetoric from another controversial sort of issue. But, but there is a sense in which are you not allowed to take a risk with your own body if you want to? Uh, absolutely. We take risks all the time. However, um, I would just still say that this is a corruption of medicine. Um, surrogates overwhelmingly are young, young moms. They have their own children. So we're asking, you know, in the case of the three surrogates that I just mentioned that have died here recently in the United States, you know, these are moms that had little children. Those little children lost their mother. They were all married. Their husbands lost their wife. What, what has happened to medicine? that we would overwhelmingly allow these women to put themselves in a risky situation. Um, and I honestly think if surrogates are told, um, surrogates have died. Um, are you sure you want to do this? A, a lot of women um, would probably think twice about it and they're not told that. I mean, I interview surrogates all the time. You know, We have a very lucrative commercial surrogacy industry in my state, California. So I speak to surrogates all the time who are never told about these risks. Um, they, they are not informed. Um, and again, in my state in particular, these are also being corrupted by the fact that these are paid. You know, surrogate in California can make 60 to 70 to 80,000 US dollars, which is a significant chunk of money. It really is. So we know there are some problems during the actual getting pregnant, having the baby part. But once baby is born, many people would say, well, doesn't it just become adoption at that point? Just like so many other kinds of adoption, we don't oppose adoption. In fact, we celebrate the fact that this baby will have a loving home to be raised in. Once baby is born and everything is good, what are the issues there? Yeah, I mean, 
uh, you know, I get asked this a lot and, you know, I just want people to stop and think. Adoption is dealing with uh, an unfortunate situation. You know, for whatever reason, the birth mother, the biological mother, father cannot keep or raise a child. Perhaps the mother's died in childbirth and created an orphan. Perhaps, you know, she's, um, you know, just, uh, you know, a, a woman that's got a drug history, a drug problem and, you know, has the child removed from her care. So these are tragic situations. And, you know, the, the literature, again, is rich in the fact that adoption is still a trauma. So that that child that has been surrendered, given up um, for adoption, you know, we're, we know now, you know, tell that child early their story, if at all possible, have it be an open adoption so that child has access to original birth certificates, has access to medical information. If, you know, many states, if the child reaches a certain age, 16 or 18, they can go and request their original birth certificate, make contact. You know, we don't sweep it under the rug as some kind of secret, you know, don't tell them they're adopted. Um, so it's a problem. And in surrogacy, we sort of are creating that problem and, and thinking that it's just fine. We're manufacturing, you know, the adoption, if you will, of children through contracts and often through commercial contracts, you know, financial incentive contracts. And, and money is never part of adoption, you know, because it is frowned upon. You cannot, as a birth mother, you cannot surrender your child and be paid because that is buying and selling children. Right. So in that sense, surrogacy is still effectively that, except from conception rather than from birth. Talk about the philosophical ch uh, challenge here, that to have an industry, to have a practice where, where women, as you say, rent out their womb or at least offer it out to others, is to create a class of women, in a sense, who are, who are breeders by identity. And that's a kind of an ugly sort of thought that we would, in a sense, reduce a human being down to a particular biological function that they can offer others. At a philosophical level, I mean, what is the challenge in terms of creating essentially a subclass of women yeah you know we have a rich history bad history in my country i'm sure your country has its similar bad histories of how we've treated uh, certain populations one way i remember visiting um a a big slave museum in South Carolina, and they actually had um, in in the museum like who were the slaves that were used as as the breeders, you know, to make more more slaves, um, and they were the women that had big wide hips because they thought well they would be great for you know carrying babies, and you know the men that were picked to inseminate those women were the big strong because they wanted to create another population of of slaves, you know, big hardy strong um, working people, and so it's it's just sort of an ugly part of history. And when, when I read a surrogacy contract, as I read lots of them, I can share some of them with you. I always say, how can this woman not be seen as a slave? I mean, for the whole duration of the pregnancy, she's told what she can eat, if she can travel, if she can color her hair or pierce her ears, if she can wear perfume, what one surrogate contract, the, the, um, the purchasing parents wanted her to live and eat a vegan diet for the nine months of the pregnancy. And even more heinous things like who can she have sexual intercourse with? When can she have sexual intercourse? Does, does her partners have to be tested for different diseases? I mean, just a whole host of whatever the purchasing parents want. And is that is that a woman who's freely choosing to do something with her body? And the contracts are very punitive. If you don't obey, if you don't follow the rules, you are in breach of the contract. You will have to pay the money back. We will sue you. 
um, women who won't terminate the pregnancy or reduce down because perhaps there's a disability. The contracts will say, you keep the child. You are left financially responsible since you will not terminate the pregnancy. Where's the freedom in that? My body, my choice? <laughs> you raised another interesting point now, and that's around the choice of the, 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 the parents who are enacting the surrogacy arrangement wanting to have a designer baby. I can now imagine, of course, that if you're going to go to all that trouble, you're going to want to have the, the gender that you prefer. You perhaps will want to insist that if the baby uh, has some kind of medical issue that you'd like to terminate that pregnancy, because after all, you're not going to spend all that money on a, on a baby that isn't healthy. I mean, this stuff is starting to get dark at that point, very dark. Yeah, and in my film, Big Fertility, um, one woman's surrogate, an American surrogate, was carrying uh, twins for a couple in Spain. And this couple in Spain had intentionally created um, a girl embryo and a boy embryo because they wanted one of each. That was their designer baby. You know, we want to pick and choose. And what happened when the embryo transfer went through, the little girl embryo didn't implant, so the surrogate miscarried that, that uh, embryo. But then the little boy embryo uh, twinned as they, that's how we get, you know, identical twins. And the couple in Spain was outraged because they had paid extra for. They had intentionally, you know, ordered a boy and a girl and, and they don't want two boys. And they were, they, they wanted to blame the surrogate. Did she do something wrong? They wanted to blame the clinic, and, you know, the doctor who did the embryo transfer. You know, it was somebody's fault because they didn't get what they had ordered. And they were, you know, and that caused a lot of stress between the surrogate in the United States because the mother in Spain was mad and angry. Um, she didn't know if they were going to keep the little boys once she gave birth because they were, they were so adamant they didn't want two boys. She still to this day does not know if they kept both little boys when they went back to Spain. Let's talk about New Zealand if we can. We, we are currently reviewing our surrogacy laws. Some of the things that are being recommended sound challenging, like, for example, uh, removing the clause that the, uh, the surrogate mum can uh, change her mind. Apparently, it's being suggested she shouldn't be allowed to change her mind. Uh, there's talk about putting the names of those who are paying for this or instigating this on the birth certificates. You've seen a lot of these kinds of laws. What would be your recommendation to New Zealand? And is there any example internationally of, of a good surrogacy law? Yeah, you know, I actually completed the, the survey questionnaire that your government um, is asking, you know, people to respond to. And I was so uh, disheartened because it was very clear that they were moving ahead and they were just asking for, you know, how should we legalize this practice? It wasn't should we have this practice? It was just, yes, we are going to do it. Tell us how the best way to do it. Um, you know, I, I love the fact that this is illegal in most of Europe. You know, the, the French law is very good. The German law is very good. You know, it just it does not allow it. We have one state left in the United States that currently prohibits all surrogacy, and that's the state of Michigan. And of course, that law is being challenged because it's seen as out of date. You know, we haven't kept up with the times. This is a new way that modern families are formed today. Um, but, you know, in the state of Michigan, it's a very simple law that just does not recognize these as legal and enforceable contracts. So why would you enter into an arrangement where you're going to pay a woman to have a baby for you if the contract isn't seen as a valid and legitimate contract? Because then if there's a dispute, the surrogate obviously would win the dispute because 
she could say, I signed a contract that's not recognized as a legal contract. So to me, that's a beautiful law because it's just, it's a one page law. It's not, you know, some of these laws, these bills are, you know, thousands and thousands of pages and words. Um, uh, so yeah, I would, my advice to New Zealand is if it's not broken, don't fix it with a bad piece of legislation. And- Jennifer Lal there with a very strong position that her recommendation to the New Zealand lawmakers is not to permit surrogacy. Well, that's really not going to be one of the options. It is permitted, uh, although we need to have much stronger and much clearer rules. And we should all be very thankful and encouraged that the idea of this commercial model from the US won't be part of the New Zealand system. And that's good. The problem is, is that how long will we be protected from the commercial surrogacy because as soon as the laws move in a certain direction it opens up the logical possibility of further extensions towards more liberal or extreme outcomes because after all if we imagine under a new regime five years from now uh, the more moderate kind of surrogacy is going well surrogacy advocates will say see it's no big problem let's open up the possibilities let's permit things like commercialization. But even without commercialization, this is an absolute minefield. And fundamentally, we need to keep reminding ourselves that the mum in all of these stories, the first mum is the lady who gives birth to the baby. That baby growing inside of her is bonding in utero. That baby is already creating a relationship with the mum that he or she is growing inside of. And that's a reality. Uh, And so any laws, any plan has to really remind us that uh, the way human beings are designed is that bonding isn't something that just happens after a baby is born. And so consequently, it'll always be difficult, troublesome and painful for a a mum to give up that baby uh, to the parents who've asked her to carry it. That doesn't mean it shouldn't happen. It does mean, though, we need to keep very mindful on the realities of those needs. Now, the other needs, of course, is that the children have needs. And this is another example of where our lawmakers spend the majority of their time talking about adults and their needs and their wants and very little time talking about children and what they need. And that's something that needs to be addressed in our approach to this law, is that we must start advocating more strongly that the needs of the children are factored in as much as the needs of the adults. Ever been involved in a surrogacy as you've heard today? I know a lady who has and it worked out well for them and I'm very happy for them. What's been your experience? Get in touch. Visit the website, activeintelligence.nz. Don't forget to subscribe. Then every episode will arrive straight into your inbox. We'll see you next time on Active Intelligence.